0: G'day, welcome to Radio Notes, where those in music talk life, and those in life chat music and more. I'm John Murch, and with all the details of today's guest, let's hear from Tammy.
1: Freaky Dreams, the 2020 release from Minibikes, follow up to their debut album for Woods or Trail. It's been a while in between releases, though time and reflection really suit them. Like a layered cake, many elements make their sound. Marcel Borak is the main person of the group and joins Radio Notes for an extended chat.
0: I want to start from an interesting walk that you were having that may have caused this record to be made in the first place. Can I ask you about the work of Jeff Slatter and how that fits into this record?
2: Yeah, well, I holiday every year I've been going, for about the last 10 years, I've been going to Marimbula and Tarthar and around those sort of southern New South Wales areas. I first saw this mural on the side of a motel, you know, it must have been 10 years ago or something. It just, I don't know, I just sort of was intrigued by it. It was in a really kind of, it was such a lush kind of beautiful scene and it was on the side of a pretty dodgy looking, scungy motel in the sort of, you know, back streets of Marimbula. It's just a great contrast and it got me thinking about those sort of collisions where sort of things come together that are a bit more unexpected. A, I really like the mural and then it just sort of set me on this path and I started writing songs with that kind of, that sort of an idea to try and bring disparate things together and have that sort of vibe that that was generating for me, that picture.
0: We'll reference tracks throughout this conversation, but does that bring us to a track like Magic Happens, for example?
2: Yeah, well, magic happens was probably a bit later in the piece, but I think it was where it really coalesced. And I was kind of, I'd made contact with the guy who made who'd made the mural. He had a little, um, can't remember. I think it was a phone number or maybe a website printed on the side of the mural. Or just he'd you know written yeah. it as his, uh, part of his signature. I started searching online and I came across this muralist, Jeff Slatter, who was everywhere. And um, he's like the muralist who paints with one line or something. Yeah. And he sort of flooded the internet. But I looked at all these images and none of them had any kind of similarity to the one that I was looking at.
0: I found one that I thought might yeah. match it. And then I kind of looked at your album cover and went, yeah, there is that one line. But And then I saw the two photos of your Jeff Slatter in a New South Wales pub and the other Jeff Slatter, I'm like, unless he had like a very hectic swim.
2: Yeah. (laughs) Well, it's, (laughs) and so he had a defunct website, I think when I tried to get in touch with him and I eventually found an email through some backtracking. I can't even remember how it went, but when I wrote to him, he was just, very kind of like he embraced the idea pretty quickly and he was pretty kind of new age and he was just like you know this oh, it's all this creativity's got to feed each other and it's you know it's all part of the bigger picture and that sort of that sort of thing so I and and he didn't sign his his email or anything like that he just so I, I'm just I, and then I' just had this kind of horrible, Thing, am I talking to the right guy? <laughs> but I, I think after after a few kind of exchanges, we yeah, we we, we made it and we've um, sorted it out. And he's just ace. He's over in New Zealand at the moment, um, and I've sent him a couple, copy of the album, which is he's thrilled with too. So that's pretty cool.
0: Is he Australian originator or is he New Zealand?
2: Yeah, I'm not. I'm not sure. I think
0: you're making me doing the research. The on
2: research this. is just impossible. Like <laughs> I've spent like. He's a mystery man, He's, but I think that's why, you know, that's, that's why it's so appealing.
0: He's the Banksy of New Zealand. <laughs> yeah,
2: <laughs> yeah, <laughs> exactly. Southern New South Wales.
0: You seeing the mural sparked the production of this album, and from that, a song or songs were written. So what were some of those earlier numbers?
2: English metal was definitely a pretty early one probably yeah maybe one of the first where I thought this idea was like just there it was just a way of generating songs and writing things that you know I liked and that was one where like I guess it's a bit of a jangly kind of poppiest song but it's about you know heavy metal in the 70s and 80s so um Topically, you know, the subject matter. So um, I like to sort of, you know, I thought that was this idea that was bringing things together that kind of don't usually fit together. And that's kind of, so if I didn't explain it clearly, the the image of the mural is a very tropical, lush picture, but it's on the side of a yucky motel. That was the kind of, you know, that that disparity was my my thinking. Yeah, so English medal definitely was one.
0: Thing. You didn't stay at this motel, did you? You just walked past.
2: Walked past it. yeah, okay. And I've been walking past it for a long time now, like I've been back a lot. and I've the initial photos that I took of it of the mural it was quite lush now. it's looking pretty tired and flaky and you know faded. so it's kind of lost some of its you know original intensity. It's another story now.
0: I'm quite intrigued for you to do a bit of gonzo songwriting and actually stay at St Motel for the next record.
2: (laughs) That just, that could be too much.
0: (laughs) The song Magic Happens, I understand then, is a tribute to the mural or at least to the artists behind it. Can you give us a bit of an idea of that connection of how Magic Happens is a tribute to the real Jeff Slatter, the New South Wales-based at the time,
2: yeah, the mystery guy. Um, I guess I was imagining what kind of character this guy would be, and I had all these associations that were sort of like just partly nostalgic, you know, from my childhood, like sort of summers and surfing and kind of new agey, hippie, kind of soulful things. So I tried to sort of like include a bit of that you know musically like come up with something that would convey that and you know the concept of you know those bumper stickers let's say magic happens I just thought this guy's surely got to have one of those on the back of his van you know I was just trying to bring a whole bunch of those sort of things and it's not it's more it's more just to sort of evoke it's not, I, don't, I mean I don't think it's ironic it's because well, I kind of that 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 person is not me, but um you've been exposed to him. it's just a part of you know, like it's just a interesting culture and an, an interesting sort of thing. and and the I really like the sort of a lot of that music that's laid back and it's it's not uptight at all. It's just sort of you know going with it. And that's how I imagine Jeff, you know Jeff the guy. So I feel like you know, try and represent him.
0: I've got a question based upon what you've said just then, but before I do that, I just need to get this out of my head because when I saw the record cover, particularly for Jeff, maybe more than yourself, Marcel, was I wanted to win an ARIA artwork award <laughs> just so Jeff could have that on his mantelpiece, the most irrelevant thing in his life, I would I would think, <laughs> just Absolutely. Sitting, sitting in his combi even.
2: Yep, yep. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, just you know. Because on Maybe one hand, just...
0: it's deserving of that said award. I'm not questioning that. <laughs> it's worth worthy of an aria. Yes. But then imagining the guy who would get the aria going, whatever.
2: Yeah, he could use it to weigh down, sort of, you know, something when he's putting out, you know, his sketch when he's kind of like uh, out in the in the air, kind of painting his murals. He could just plonk it down and use it as a paperweight.
0: Considering the weight of an aria, he could use the pointy end to actually prick the tin of the paint.
2: (laughs) He could, yeah, and do some sort of splatter work perhaps.
0: What are you painting at the moment?
2: Uh, Not a mural. (laughs) (laughs) Just just the kitchen.
0: The connection I wanted to make when you were saying about laid-back type of groovy music is there is a tip of the hat to Robert Fripp on this very record What is your connection with Robert Fripp And why have Robert Fripper As a song
2: I don't have a huge connection To Robert Fripp really I mean I as a teenager I probably listened to a bit of King Crimson and stuff like that And proggy things A bit I've been intrigued by it And I'm intrigued by his dedication To the guitar But the reason I wrote the song was just, I saw it, it was just a great image of him. It was just based on a photograph. It was the front cover of a guitar player magazine from, you know, maybe 1981 or something. They just had some cheesy glowing effect around his head. It just had a kind of a blue and a pink and a green sort of bands coming out from his head. I was just like, and and it just sort of seemed to connect with like, it was that new age thing again. And I was probably listening to, you know, his work on some David Bowie or something at the time. And it, I just, I don't know how that one came about. It was weird.
0: The connection I made when obviously I, I was listening through that track, and really I am impressed by the album cover, and I want to talk about that way too much. So I have moved on just for my own sanity because <laughs> I don't want to fangirl over the album cover in front of the artist who made the music within said record.
2: Oh, that, that's my favourite bit, <laughs> the cover.
0: That's but true. I do want to say that the blues of that artwork remind me of Robert Fripp and Brian Eno's record that I particularly enjoyed, and I was trying to find it today, but I can't remember if it's under E for Eno, B for Brian. Oh. I'm not organised. Yeah. I couldn't find it. No, I-,
2: I have the uh, I have the same issue, and I've I've long kind of worried and reshuffled and reorganized my record collection. I, I, I like to kind of I, I think like and my biggest question. So just say like something like Eno, I often file artists, like I, I might have Roxy Music, mm. but then where, like where do you, do you put any Eno records with that or do you put any um, Brian Ferry solo records with that? I, I don't know. It's, it's a problem.
0: Marcel is our special guest from Mini Bikes. How do you organise your record collection? Firstly, let's start with combinations. Is it just a strict A to Z compilation or is it genre-based combinations?
2: I do have two. I've got, um, I've got like a disco compilations or a sort of edging on dancey disco uh, discoy sort of ones, mm-hmm. and then I've got a more of a. Oh no, I've got three because I've got like a, like a series of eighties ones that I keep together.
0: My compilation section does have it in years. So if it was a ripping 1979, it is right next to the hits of the 80s. It is in its year order.
2: Yeah, that's very good. Mine are pretty random, sort of once they're in their subsection. But I have the subsection within the rock and roll subsection, which is a broader section, like after Z. I put all the compilations for that genre. That gives you big problems.
0: How do you organise the A to Z? So
2: surnames and band names. But often just if there's an associated artist or band, I often group them together in whatever I'm feeling. So
0: Right there is the danger line. As you said with the Roxy Music versus Brian Ferry solo.
2: Yeah, it is. I mean, ideally, you'd have two copies, like, a, you know, like a library. You might be able to shelve them in, you know, like Dewey Decimal. Oh, then, where, uh,
0: where does a Louis Armstrong record go?
2: That goes in jazz section, but the old time jazz section. I've got a 60s jazz section as well.
0: <laughs> all right. is there
2: anything- It's ridiculous. They're all there, but finding things could be a problem.
0: Where do 10 inches go?
2: I've got a, a box with 12s and 10s in them. Though so some 12s are with the artists as well. Oh, God. I've only got two 10-inch records. So one's an instructional guitar record and one's a, a Davy Graham English folk record, I think. Let's get back to your oh, – There's an Ice House one as well that I, I just remembered. A flower's 10-inch. What was the last
0: vinyl record you bought? What was given to you, maybe?
2: What did I get? Actually, I got a Meanie single from my friend Wally, his latest single, which is a 7-inch. It's got great cover art.
0: <laughs> well, speaking of great cover art, the brand new Meanie's record I'm excited for, it's got these two people with, like, decaying faces, which will be out soon on the same label as yours. When did you first meet Wally of the Meanie's?
2: That was... It's it's a long time ago. It was my first professional gig and I was the bass player in a band called Afterglow and Wally was booking the, no, it was my second gig, and Wally was booking the Tote and um, I think we were all underage at the time you just like go upstairs in between the bands and I think we were late too we didn't realize there was going to be like you had to do sound checks and things like that I just you know we knew we we're playing at 9 30 or something so we probably turned up at about 9 20 and just tried to you know bring in the drum kit and do all that sort of stuff it was, yeah so that's when I met Wally when he was booking the tote all those years ago.
0: I'm just realizing that You were the bassist of Afterglow, who I used to play on Breakfast Radio back in the day. Oh, right. (laughs) It was a great
2: record. It was an
0: EP. It wasn't a record. It was an EP that you had out at the time.
2: Yeah, it was a couple of EPs,
0: yeah. You had a solo record in 2006 called I Was Only Dreaming, and now you're having Freaky Dreams.
2: I've never even thought of it, but yeah, that's – must be obsessed.
0: The theme of the record is Beach, Sun and Romance. That's the vibe that I'm getting from it.
2: It's what I like. (laughs) And um, like I got to a point where I was writing, you know, when I was sort of like feeling good, you know, like I'm not trying to write sad songs. I was just sort of like happy and doing the stuff I like. just reflects those sorts of things, you know, your life at the time.
0: The sax on nobody's boyfriend, which is one of the the hit singles that's coming off of this record, everyone's so sort of, because there's an idea that sax and music don't go together unless it is in the jazz genre, which is totally untrue. I've
2: just always loved pop records that have a jazzy sort of solo, like you know, walk on the wild side. Or there's quite. I, I did make a compilation once of all my favorite sort of jazzy. sax solos on you know pop songs where they had that sort of airy tone you know it's not like a sort of 80s kind of wailing sax it's more like that kind of mellow melodic but complex sort of soloing that only those jazz people can do I wanted that I've always loved it I found someone who was willing to play on my record? <laughs> so Let's talk uh,
0: about Adam Simmons from Memories from Fat Rain Records, or at least Fat, Fat Rain Music. I think he's part of.
2: He's a Melbourne jazz guy, and he, before you know lockdown, he he's, he just he plays with loads of people. He's always collaborating. He's just all over the scene playing. He's he's jazzing everywhere. I'd seen him play in a band called Graham Barker and the Cats when I was you know, maybe in the in the early nineties, maybe mid nineties. And I'd always I'd loved that band, I loved going to see them. And I kind of talked to him then and had met him. So I felt sort of like I could approach him getting to do it and he obliged.
0: And having Adam Simmons on this record as well, has that inspired a different take for the mini bikes into the future, or is that a nice full stop on that particular
2: song? Yeah, good question. Um, it could could go either way really. I don't I mean, I don't think I'm ever gonna go sort of full blown. I've got so many I mean, I, I just love lots of different music and and that's just sort of one one thing, I guess. So it's it's nice to go there, but I would definitely go there again if it's the right moment. Yeah.
0: You So rad is the latest film clip that is available on the YouTubes and various other platforms to go and see, taking off the record itself. I encourage people to go and have a look at it. The vibe I like about it, it's the modern The Diamond Sea by Sonic Youth vibe to it. That's what I enjoy about that song. So have you ever listened to, have you ever been inspired by the likes of Sonic Youth and particularly that era of Sonic Youth?
2: I've sort of never really, like once I started listening to Sonic Youth in, you know, when I was a teenager, I've never really stopped. (laughs) Yeah, I love them. Yeah, they're one of my kind of, Touchstones, I guess, as a band. When you listen to a sort of whole different bunch of styles of music and different artists, I'm one of those people who just sort of like listens pretty widely. But then sometimes I want to sit down and write a song and I want it to be. I'm so obsessed with Sonic Youth at the moment. I just want to write a Sonic Youth song. Mm. And I probably did that, you know, like when I was sort of younger. And then I probably tried to write. Neil Young song in another time or but I think at this point when I'm writing I just try not to think too much about specific influences but all those things that are there in you you know that have kind of informed you over the years come out and then like I recognise that when I wrote You're So Rad I sort of thought it had that sort of vibe that sort of melodic but dissonant guitar droney stuff so I just tried to you know like you know, bring that out a bit, but I didn't really kind of set out to write a song that sounded like Sonic Youth, but once I kind of – it was sort of half there, it just made sense to kind of give it some of those touches.
0: There's just a handing over of some sort of musical baton, I feel, with that song as well. It is your song, but there's a sense or a acknowledgement of the history of where that music's come from as well. I'm a huge fan of Thurston Moore's solo work as well for that very reason.
2: Amazing musician. Uh, and that is a big part of, like, you know, including some of those sort of ideas that he has about music, like, that it shouldn't. I mean, I do I do probably music, make music that he would sort of vomit at, you know, as well, but, like, the way he talks about music and the sort of ideas that he has about, you know, like, the motivations in making music and sort of, like, how it should come out, they're sort of intellectual ideas, and I really like those aspects to his sort of music making, I think he's he's a really interesting guy.
0: Talking about the inf- whole band, talking about influence and music of the past influencing today's modern cultural perspective of pop music and music generally. Is it true that you're one of the backing members of the relive Bix and Specs?
2: That's true. Yes, I did two episodes with the. They had a, a band playing, yeah, and one with Tina Arena and one with. It was Tina, Arena and Cram from spider
0: This is the post-Josh Earl series. This is the return of the OGs in the house. What is it like? How did you feel? Uh, what's the vibe of doing a music television show? Because we are desperately lacking that kind of television at the moment.
2: I couldn't agree more. I wish someone would sort of do something, give us some more of that stuff. My dream job would be to play in that band (laughs) on that said television show, you know, going to the same place to do like a Tonight Show or something and just sort of like working at the same place every night and nine to five job like that or, well, five to ten or whatever. (laughs) Sounds perfect. I haven't had much experience doing TV live stuff at all, but it was weird. You see the whole kind of world back end of, you know, making a TV show. And it's it's kind of boring, actually, you know, like (laughs) compared to the end product, playing, you know, for big celebrities or big names or whatever is really weird. But they all just, they were all nice and normal and had a good time doing it.
0: Tina Arena crammed together. You're sitting there in the band having a look across the stage.
2: Tina Arena came up and had a chat and... She was just, she was amazing. Like everything she did was great. She was super friendly, totally professional. She sang amazing and it was sort of testing conditions as well for her, I think. like, I mean, it wasn't wasn't too hard, but like, you know, she was trying to hear herself and stuff and she just did it like I've really kind of rarely heard anyone do it, you know, like just so well. She was a total pro. And that was kind of inspirational. And I did have to pinch myself because it was weird. I've played with a few people, you know, over the years, but that was the one where I thought, she's just unreal. I really liked her. And because she was just super nice, she was, you know, swearing.
0: Pretty sure it was Tina and Myth. We're doing an Instagram live story so the world could see it. And she was dropped more F bombs than their Myths.
2: <laughs> That's what it was like, but charming. Beautiful. Yeah. Hi, I'm Rishi K. Shirway. And I'm Joshua Molina. We're from the West Wing Weekly, and you're currently listening to Radio Notes.
0: Radio Notes, where those in music talk life, and those in life chat music,
2: and more. You can join us on the West Wing Weekly for an episode-by-episode breakdown of the television show The West Wing. Josh was the star of the show and we give you behind-the-scenes insights and deep dives into the issues raised in the storylines of the show.
0: You can find us on
2: radiotopia.fm or through your favourite podcaster. For now, back to John Merch and Radio Notes.
0: Let's move back to the record, and let's talk about Got'em All Foxed. I've got that you wrote this on a Casio, so can you talk us through Got'em All Foxed?
2: I had. I bought, like, a Casio guitar synth, it looks like a sort of 80s kind of plastic electric guitar, but it has these sort of weird rubber strings, guitar-like, and you play it like a guitar, but it sort of just makes Casio kind of sounds. Often, I think the thing about it is you play it perfectly. That's not what comes <laughs> out when, when it's sort of translated by the... The Casio, you know, supercomputer that's driving it. it, yeah, it just sort of like has all these random weird mistakes and stuff. So I was just mucking around with it because I was using it for textures and stuff like that on recordings and it's just a fun thing to have. Mucking around with it one day and started kind of playing these things and it turned into that song, got them all foxed.
0: I asked because I had in my head something like a tar kind of thing, but no, you're saying just a guitar with some very questionable strings.
2: Yeah, to get well, and it doesn't play like it doesn't make any acoustic sound at all. It's all it must, I think, like where your fingers go on the fretboard, it just sort of like it must have sensors so it knows where you're pressing. I guess that's how it works. And then it plays like a sort of funny synthesizer sound as you play it like a guitar. So it's a hybrid.
0: <laughs> Marcel, what is it about dance or is it more dance music that you're into?
2: I have a big disco collection and I guess like that's what I've, I've always loved and I've, like I love the drums in disco on disco records and those sort of they've, they've always been really influential I mean I love they sort of I love everything about those records but the drum sounds of you know something that I can kind of relate back to the record that I've just made and they're kind of like touchstones, I guess, you know, like sonically for me. Disco drums, big, big influence, yeah.
0: What's your favourite disco dance moment? When were you cutting up the rug the best?
2: (laughs) That's just embarrassing. Um, Probably in my living room, I reckon. Dancing at home, I think that's the best.
0: Speaking about home, you join us from your home today and thank you for doing so. You've got some guitar and other interesting instruments behind you.
2: This is just where I work. I've got one little room. I tend to try and have lots of instruments out whenever I'm working or writing. So I can just go to a keyboard or a piano or guitar. I mean, guitar is my main thing that I play. And I always have, I always write songs while I'm recording, which is the sort of modern, you know, like frowned upon sort of nasty way to work, I think. Like just, you know, just trying to sort of, come up with something while you're recording. It's like it's not the, the traditional sort of, you know, songwriting thing to do.
0: But in these but, um, times where everyone seems to have and has the ability to have a home studio, that must be more the way of doing it these days. You've got that
2: I reckon it is. Yeah, it is. And it's like it's uh, just for me, it allows me to kind of like the brain space to be able to just blurt stuff out and then and be able to sift through it you know, much like you are sort of going op shopping and looking for something, you know, like there's all this shit out there. You know, occasionally you just find this little jewel, but like you mightn't be, when you're writing, you mightn't be aware of it at the time, but you've captured something and then you can just sort of keep working on it to reveal it. So so my idea of songwriting is that kind of revealing something rather than just, you know, sitting down and having a creative moment and, you know, like conceiving how some song is going to go? It's more like just teasing it and coaxing it out. I think, which I'd love to be able to write with a piano or whatever and write songs, but I've, I and I and it, I can to a certain extent, but they they just they don't ever have the same kind of qualities, the things that I like in a song. You seem to capture all these sort of singular moments when you're, you know, you're in that kind of state where you're really excited. You're kind of if, you, if you're onto a good idea, you're kind of getting this stuff out and often it's sort of really hard to repeat, you know, that kind of maybe the naive sort of like you don't really understand what you're doing at that point, like in terms of the structure of the song and how it's all going to come together. You're just sort of like feeling around, but it means you will kind of, you know, sort of in a way that's not totally predictable or not just going into autopilot mode you're sort of doing weird random stuff that's what i like and i can fall into like just playing really boring you know by rote kind of stuff very easily so i have to kind of make sure i avoid that and so working like this writing like this helps me do that
0: so then lyrically is it less about being in the moment Then it is about remembering the moment, and then during those sessions, bringing out the ideas that stick, that are actually shining through. That,
2: yeah, definitely, yeah. It's like a sort of just a big edit. Then, like with lyrics, like I often, that's part. It's a big, it's a strong part of it for me. Like to have a lyrical idea, but like if I feel like there is a good lyrical idea, it doesn't have to be totally resolved. But some of it's there. I can. I'm happy just to sort of like then go over it and keep working it until I can kind of get it to a point where it's finished.
0: We started our conversation saying that this latest album, Freaky Dreams, was started by the mural of Jeff Slatter, as we mentioned, bringing us to, I guess, that point, that that was the reference point that brought up some of the material. But another thing that seems to, that you've mentioned, is that time was an influence of this record. In what way has time played its part on this record?
2: as you probably kind of like, I'm, I'm not, I'm not a young person. <laughs> so like, I guess I've just, I wasn't like in a real hurry to put the record out um, or to finish it. I just figured like there's so many things that I'm, you know, like I've put out records and I just wanted to kind of not sort of force it to come out. I just wanted to like, let it happen over whatever, time it took and it did take a while (laughs) but um it felt nice to sort of like not be in a hurry you know to do it because I have felt that pressure before various bands or whatever like where you've just you've got like pressure to get the next thing out keep the momentum up well this was sort of about keeping the momentum of the band sort of like it wasn't even a consideration it's more like just sort of have the momentum of songwriting and, and enjoying it, getting the best thing you could, you know, really get together.
0: How do you think it sits with the rest of the band members having that long somewhat of a hiatus between releases?
2: Who cares? <laughs> no, um, I'm lucky to be playing in a band with three really close good friends of mine. So um,
0: That's the important bit. Yeah. It's friends first, band second. Yeah.
2: Yeah, definitely. They're very tolerant. What can I say? Like they indulge me sort of, and they know I'm not a big fan of playing live a lot. I occasionally like like it, but they understand my passion is, I guess, writing and just recording. And, and I do a lot of like other recording work, you know, with other people and stuff. So I'm kind of always in that world. The band... Just sort of, you know, indulge me. They're very
0: cool. One of the uh, team members of the band, also co-produced, recorded this record with you. The amazingly wonderful, bit of a hero for mine because he just seems like a wonderful, calm person, Tim Harvey.
2: Well, Tim and I just, we work together all the time, sort of like on other people's stuff. Tim's not playing in the band at the moment. We sort of like kicked him out. Because he was pretty busy with all his other stuff, and just finding the time to kind of get five people together seemed a lot harder than finding the time to get four people together. But Tim was playing in the band for a long time, and we definitely did all that. Like, I, I think I met him, that's right, he joined the band. That's when we sort of like first started working together, and then we both realized we loved working together. So, I guess. We've not been playing in bands together so much as just recording other people together.
0: And in terms of Freaky Dreams, there there is a touch of Tim across this record, I would think.
2: Yeah, he's, he's a big part of it, big part of the sound. He sings a bit on it as well, and his ideas were really kind of important to the sound of the record. He would force me to kind of fight for like i was saying before i really like to just be spontaneous and record sort of things because they seem to capture certain elements that are a bit unexpected or random the other side of that coin is that you get all sorts of basic crappy bits as well you know that go with it so when i listen back i would tend to hear only the good things and um respond to those and but Tim was sort of like instrumental in helping me kind of like clean up some of those ideas and just sort of you know be able to turn things off at times or reimagine that idea but do it in know sort of more cohesive way you know that sort of made sense to someone who was going to listen to it for the first time his ideas are great I haven't had too many collaborators that I've sort of had that kind of um, confidence in where you just 99% of the time they're probably right, I think.
0: Rounding out the album, you have reflections on the future. That might be a very simplistic way of putting it, but is that what the rounding out of the album is about, reflecting on the future and how it's still not going to be that great but we'll get through it?
2: Yeah, it's I guess it's sort of, yeah, and it's like leaves, it's a bit of a question mark and it's it's both sides. It's like... You know, the world can be incredibly depressing, especially at the moment. But um, it's trying to kind of also remember that, that you know, there's really um, good things happening and it's that dichotomy really, which is part of the theme of the album again, you know, like it's, it's ace, it's terrible. <laughs>
0: Well, it's saying that there is two sides to the musical coin of what mini bikes are trying to achieve. The question I haven't asked you, and I, yeah. uh, I'd be a not to ask you on the way through, was when was the last time Marcel of Mini Bikes was actually on a mini bike?
2: Back in the nineteen uh, eighties, it would have to be. Yeah. <laughs> I did have a um, one of those posty bikes for for years, though. So um, that that was almost a mini bike, but not quite. It's a postie bike,
0: and I'm not going to ask about obsessions about Nicole Kipman. I will ask about the Brady Bunch, though. What do you like about that era of television?
2: So much, what's not to like? But the themes of all those TV shows in the '60s and '70s, incredible theme songs and playing, and you know, like you read about, like maybe the Brady Bunch. I think that was that played by, you know, they're all those sort of LA West Coast session players, like Carol Kay. I think is on the Brady Bunch theme, and you know those people who were working on pet sounds or whatever in the sixties. Once, sort of bands had sort of more autonomy, and they would play things themselves in the seventies. All those great players started doing television and film work more, or you know, and, and that's where you get those those awesome songs.
0: What TV show do you think Mini Bikes music would fit into? Where would you like your music in terms of film and television? From this record, I guess I'm suggesting to be heard.
2: I like 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 a some kind of documentary, you know, like a nature documentary. I think like with just like the musical elements, maybe you know some of those sort of washier moments. You know, get rid of all the you know how they do those mixes and they take out all the lyrics and stuff like that, and just use some of the the musical aspects or the musical. Content rather than that singing and just um in a doco that'd be pretty cool.
0: And it are we talking an animal doco? And if so, what animal is at the fore for you?
2: Given the sort of cover art, it'd have to be sort of dolphins and whales, I think.
0: What other projects are you currently working on? Where can we see your?
2: Um, well, mini bikes have been recording. We've got another album almost. Finished. I can't say when it would come out because um, I'd be wrong. It's probably going to be a very long time, but um, that's nearly done.
0: Just on that, 2011, 2020, but then is there an urgency now?
2: Well, I did finish Freaky Dreams about five years ago. My <laughs> Bad. And then, oh, yeah, no, 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 because I, I haven't told anyone that. It's not in any of the, uh, like, It's just that I just was incredibly lazy and, um, as I said, there was no rush to get it out. Yeah. And the only reason it came out, I have to thank, you know, the record label, Wally, who he had it and said, this is, you know, this has got to come out and he did it.
0: Where would we be without record companies like Wally's, though? Obviously, there are still great people like Wally who can – hear what you as an artist are doing and actually get it out of the bedrooms, get it out of home yeah. studios.
2: Yeah, that's a really great point because he and there's so many other people out there like that who just have an amazing enthusiasm and they're able to look at music in a way that not a lot of people do. I think like these special people, they see stuff, they like it or hate it, based on purely their own kind of, you know, taste really. And they're not sort of, they seem like they're not influenced by the wider sort of community of music. They're not trying to kind of fit in or they they just sort of like embrace all sorts of things, could be in in any style. I love those people who just passionate about music. I think it's nice to be able to have broad options and I really kind of take my hat. Off to the people who stray away from what's safe in choosing what they like and what they put out, you know, if they're a record label.
0: And for those record collectors, you've got to get in early on this, the fluoro green vinyl is available through Bandcamp and it's fluoro green. Was that your choice to go fluoro or was that Wally's? I
2: think it was a consensus. Yeah, I liked it. It reminded me of a Frisbee that I once owned.
0: Which brings us back to the beach theme. It does. Frisbees feel like a beach kind of thing?
2: Yeah. I've just bought one online. Tim broke my old frisbee. He took it on tour a couple of months ago, six months ago, cracked it.
0: That's going to test (laughs) the friendship.
2: Well, funnily enough, he's such a nice guy that I've ordered two frisbees, one for me, one for him.
0: (laughs) We're joined by Marcel Borak, is from the band Mini Bikes. He's in his home studio at the moment. We're just about to round out a conversation with him on Radio Notes. Marcel, wow, that is um, that's a really nice guitar. Well worn.
2: It is worn. It's yeah, not by me. I bought it like this, but um, it's it's actually I don't. I feel bad often when people ask me about this guitar. The guy who owned it. I didn't know this. I bought it and then I took it to get fixed at a certain point. And the repairer told me the story of the guy who owned it, who had become homeless, carried this guitar around in a plastic bag and it was his only possession. And at some point it wasn't his possession anymore. Mm. He must have sold it. And that's probably, you know, when I bought it. I didn't buy it from him. I just bought it at a shop. He recognized it because it was so beaten up and it also... The neck is different than the original neck. It was because the guy had tried to do some work on it himself and completely like ruined the wood on the neck. It has a different neck. The guitar repairer knew that it was this one because of that.
0: That's the sounds of Marcel Boric. Thank you very much for joining Radio Notes.
2: Thanks, John. That was awesome.
1: Marcel Boric of Minibikes. Albums include Freaky Dreams and For Woods or Trail. Find them online at minibikes.com.au.
0: Thanks very much to Marcel of Minibikes for being our feature guest Next time, singer-songwriter Bridget Bardini.
1: radionotespodcast.com for show notes and links. Web design there by Steve Davis. Theme music by Martin Kennedy and All India Radio. I'm Tammy Weller. John Murch is the producer and host based in Adelaide, South Australia.